Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Excited to have you all in the house, everybody tuning in online through our YouTube. We welcome you as well. Hey, all my viewers on YouTube, everybody's tuning in right now. I want you to know that our church is right there with you. If you have questions about all the things going on at Restoration Life, you can ask there. They'll send you the links, all the help that you need. If you need prayer or anything going on in your life that you need a leader to talk to, we have a team that's monitoring our YouTube feed that you can engage with and they will connect with you. So. You're not just observing, but you are a part of the family here at Restoration Life. Amen. It's so, I'm so excited to be in the house today. Um, forgive me if I'm a little bit shaky. I had a, a, just an amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit last night, and I'm still buzzing. You know, it, it's sometimes you, you get that, that wreck, and you needed it. Um, just been a lot going on over months and months and months and months, and finally to be at a space where I could just receive and just enjoy, and the Holy Spirit really spoke to me last night, and I'm just, I'm feeling it, so I hope you guys are with me. We're going to go on a journey today. It's going to be something really, really good. Um, I know that this week was a challenge for a lot of us. We went on a fast together. How'd everybody do? We all made it? Come on. I hope that this week you, you encountered as well um, the Holy Spirit in a way that you need it. Whether you were fasting for yourself, whether you were fasting for intercession of a family member, uh, whatever breakthrough that you were seeking, whatever wisdom you were seeking, whatever peace you were seeking, my prayer is that you did receive it over this past week uh, fasting. You know, fasting is never easy and it's not really supposed to be. Fasting is not supposed to be. The whole point of fasting is to make the flesh submit to the spirit. That's what we're doing when we're fasting. And we want you guys to know here at Restoration Life, we're not, we're not rigid in our fasting, meaning like if you don't fast all food and you, only drink, and you don't only drink water, that's not a real fast. All right, this is, this is 2020. And those times they didn't have a lot of stuff. It was like you give up food, you give up sleep. Pick one. That's about it. But the reality of fasting, the whole purpose of fasting is I'm going to make a sacrifice to my flesh so that way I can submit it to the spirit. And whatever you did and however many days you did it, to be able to draw near to the spirit, then you were purposeful in your fast. At any time you cut something off from yourself and you're not trying to draw near to the spirit, then you're just starving yourself of that thing. So the whole purpose of the fast is that you drew near to God and you experienced the Holy Spirit in a very amazing way. And that's our prayer for you this week. Um, you know, we've been in this series to both close 2020 and kick off 2021 and talking about the promise of his presence. To gain insight and understanding into how the Holy Spirit works around us and works within us. And just to recap some of what we discussed, some of the things that Pastor Eddie unpacked, uh, the encounters that people have with God's spirit in the Old Testament. He talked about through Moses last week. And we saw how Moses prayed for God's presence to fall upon the leaders of Israel, right? After, you know, he went through a venting prayer session, right? Moses was upset, people were getting on his nerves, and sometimes we got to intercede. Like, I need some help, God. But it was with a humble heart he went before God and God poured out his spirit 
on more leaders so that way they could continue on the journey that God was guiding them on. And then we also learned about when the prophet Joel proclaimed that God would pour out his spirit on all who repented of their sins. We saw this in Joel chapter 2. And this was a massive proclamation because prior to this happening, the Spirit of God really only poured out on the leaders of Israel. It wasn't accessible to everybody. And here's this prophet proclaiming that one day, one day the Holy Spirit will pour out on all of God's people. Even there is a condition. The condition is a heart of repentance. In order to receive the Holy Spirit, we have to have a heart of repentance that allows us be, to be able to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When we do that, he's able to pour his spirit out into us. And we see that happen in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room. When the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles. So these are all the things that we've been talking about, getting an understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. And so we fully understand that in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit, we have to come to a place of repentance within our hearts. That leads us to be able to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to read the scripture to you, John 14, 15 through 17. Jesus says this, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. What Jesus meant by this is that by upholding the commandments given, it demonstrates our love for him. If we love God, if we love Jesus, we will show that through our actions. We don't have to going around saying, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love God. Our actions will reflect that. And because we uphold his commandments, we will be able to encounter the Holy Spirit both externally and internally. You know, externally we experience the Holy Spirit quite often. We experience them in our prayer life. You know, some of you guys, you had a great encounter this past week while you were fasting and you were praying. You probably felt like somebody else was in the room there with you. Sort of giving you a hug, giving you some comfort, speaking some words to you. Here this morning in this time of worship, you know, you feel this tangible external presence, you know, like I'm, the Holy Spirit is here in this place. And the Holy Spirit isn't limited to the church sanctuary. It's not limited to your house. He's with us all around us all the time. And these are just a couple of examples of the Holy Spirit with us. And it's always hard to talk about the Holy Spirit because you have friends who will ask you like, what's that like? I heard you talk about you like you felt the presence of the Spirit. I want to know what that's like. And it's so hard to put into words because it's not like anything upon this earth. The second part, the second part, and this is where I think many of us have a hard time grasping. The second part is the Holy Spirit in us. 
We know when we have a Holy Spirit encounter when it's coming from external. We know we're feeling something different coming from external. But it's often hard for us to acknowledge the Holy Spirit within us. And as we continue with this teaching on the promise of his presence, this is what I want to talk about. Which is the title of today's message, His Presence Within. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for another day. We know that each day you wake us up, it is intentionally for your will. We pray that we grow in wisdom and understanding of your will according to your word. Thank you, Father, for your love, mercy, and grace, which has given us a new life in Christ Jesus and a helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with us and inside of us. Let us together continue the work you have called us to and help us overcome any doubts, fears, or worries that we have so that we may serve you at our absolute best. We ask these things in your son's name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Turn with me, if you will, you got your Bibles, your smart devices. We're going to go to the book of Judges to start off. We're going to go to the book of Judges, chapter 6. And I just want to set the scene here, what's going on as you get there. Uh, Book of Judges, chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 11. So I want to set the scene as we get to this portion. And in this scene, the Israelites, they are under the power of Midian. The reason that they're under power of Midian, because of the evil that the Israelites had done in the eyes of the Lord. Midian, as well as the Amalekites, they would pillage and plunder and just make the Israelites' life as bad as they could possibly make it. This is years separated from the time that the Israelites had the exodus from from Egypt, time after they were been in the promised land and enjoyed God's blessing. And now they find themselves in this desolate and desperate position. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orpha that belonged to Joash <coughs> and Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now picture the scene. He, he's not on a battlefield. He's not sharpening swords. He's not preparing armor. He is threshing wheat, hiding. He's trying to get whatever little bit of food he can. He's in a very desperate place. And here comes this angel to tell him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is how Gideon responds. He says, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength. You have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? The Gideon replies again, pardon me. But how can I save Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied again, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. I don't know about you, but if an angel of the Lord appears to me, I, ain't that my sign? Like, this is like, here you go. I need, I need more. I'm not sure. I need more. You got to give me a little bit. But he says, if I now have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So after Gideon had his first encounter with God, there wasn't an immediate response of his actions, was there? He had a lot of questions. He had so many doubts that this was actually God talking to him. Because he's thinking, how could it be that an angel of the Lord is appearing to me, me, the lowest in my clan, the lowest clan in the land, in the circumstances that we've been in. And here's this angel appearing to me, telling me that I can save my people. He had a lot of doubts. And the reason that he was doubting so much is because he had been in this circumstance for so long. He had been in this desperate and desolate position for so long, he started to doubt God. How many people in this room, if you're being honest, you've been in a desperate position that you started to doubt God? It happens. It happens to all of us. We start going like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you're really there. I know people talk about you in this way, but I, I can't remember when the last time I have seen this. And what's funny is, God, when we're looking for a miracle to happen, we're looking for this, just, God, I need a breakthrough right now. I need a miracle right now. God will often use you to be that miracle. Look how the Lord responds. I love how God answers Gideon's questions about where are all your wonders where are all the things I've heard about? Where are all your wonders? And the angel replies, am I not sending you? That is the miracle. Because of your position, because of where you come from, because of your circumstance, I'm going to work through you and my glory will be shown. But sometimes we, that's not enough for us because we want it to be bigger. God has got to be bigger. I, I want to see the heavens open up, and I want to see stuff fall down from the sky. God's like, no, I just, I just want to use you. You're plenty for me to work through. But the thing is, when you've been in a circumstance for so long, it will create a history of doubts in your mind. Doubt leads to fear. Doubt leads to fear. Because we can't remember the last time we won. We can't remember the last time we felt victorious in our lives. 
But God has already declared a great victory in our lives for all of eternity. That is the one victory that we need to hold tight to. The one victory that only matters. There is no other victory that matters more than the victory that was already won on the cross. You've already won. But I get it. Because I've been there too. When I, when I don't feel like I'm a champion. I don't feel like I'm a winner. I start to doubt. And I start to fear. And what I start to fear is failure. So when opportunity presents itself, I no longer believe that I can do it. At every turn, I, I look for everything negative that can possibly happen. It's, it's not going to work. I'm going to fail. It's not going to work. I'm not going to fail. Can I tell you something, church? The fear of failure has killed more works than failure actually has. The fear of failure has killed more works than failure actually has. Because when you have a fear of failure, you won't even try. And the thing is, what God is trying to work out through your lives, because it sounds so ridiculous to you, and because you haven't won for so long, and you haven't felt like you've seen God's presence around you, you start to fear. You're like, I'm going to fail because God's not with me. I don't feel his presence. What does the Bible tell you? He says, I am with you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit encounter is not always that tingly feeling that we get when in the time of worship. Sometimes it's not always that feeling of a hug when you're in a time of prayer. Sometimes you just have to know that you know that God is with you. And this is what I pick up from Gideon is that he has this fear because he can't remember God being with him. He heard the stories. Our ancestors told us about how you got us out of Egypt and, you know, you got us into the promised land. But I, I haven't seen that stuff. I heard about it. I heard about it. And that's why he had so many questions. Because when you fear failure is inevitable, you're going to ask a lot of questions. So, I'm what you would call new black. I'm what you would call new black. I'm black 2.0. What does that mean? It means I run slow, I jump low, I know what drink I like at Starbucks, and I know how to swim. <laughs> but I couldn't always swim. I couldn't always swim. I learned how to swim over the time. And I remember being a kid, we used to go to our, our public park pool in Carson. It was called Victoria Park. We used to go there during the summertime. And I remember uh, I had to be like seven or eight years old when these memories start to come back to me. And what I remember is I'm feeling anxiety every time. Like, we're going to the pool. And all my cousins are like, yay. And my sister's like, yay. And I'm like, hey. Go to that pool. Pool's deep. This pool, this is back in the day. This is the 90s. So we had a high dive still. We had a lifeguard who was probably high. Um, you know, the pool was 12 feet. Parents could just drop their kids off. Just go swim and leave. And we had the big pool and we had the kiddie pool. But the thing is, I had to always be with one of my cousins or my siblings, and they always wanted to go to the big pool. 
I like the big pool because I couldn't touch the bottom. I, want, I need to feel contact. Okay, that lets you know I'm okay. I need some bounce. So I had a lot of questions when we were leaving the house. Mom, are you staying? Are you staying? Are you coming in the pool? Can I just stay in the kiddie pool by myself? Is that okay? Are you going to be around at least? Are you going to look through the fence? Do I have to get in the big pool? Why? I had so many questions because I was already thinking about the worst outcome. Like, I can't swim. I can't swim. I can't swim. And the thing is, back in the day, you know, you go to the public pools, the big kids like to dunk the little kids. Believe it or not, there was a time in my life I was small. And I had all these fears and worries. I'm like, I can't swim, I can't swim. But my mom tried to convince me. She's like, Max, you can swim. Because she remembered when she took me to the YMCA, and she remembered when I went to the classes, and she remembered when I was able to swim all the way across the pool. The thing is, I forgot. And the thing was, I was so anxious unless I knew I, her presence was around. If her presence was by me and I saw her through the fence, I felt okay. But the moment that I didn't see her around, I'm starting to panic. Like, I'm, not, I'm just going to stand here on the steps. I'm just going to sit here on the steps. This is my spot for the pool. I'm cool. I'm just going to kick my feet. This is, this is my life. And one day, sitting on the side of the pool, one of my cousins, being the great cousin that they are, runs by, kicks me in to like eight feet. And now I got to swim. Now I got to swim. And I think a lot of us live our Christian lives in this way. Is that when we don't see God around us, when we don't think God's nearby, we're hesitant to get into the deep end of what he's calling us to do. I don't feel your presence. I don't know you're there. I don't think I have enough around me. So I'm going to stay here where I know it's safe. But God constantly tells us, I am with you. I am with you. You may not believe, but I know you. I made you. I know that you can do this. We have to believe that within ourselves. Our fear of failure keeps us from trusting in the promise of his presence. If we only rely on experiencing God's presence from an external source, we will stay stuck in doubt and worry. If I'm only going to follow God when I can feel him, I'm going to be stuck in a place of complacency. If I'm only going to follow God when I think I can see him, I'm going to be stuck in a place of complacency. Do not allow your fear of failure to rob you of his everlasting presence. Amen? You know, although the fear of failure is strong, I think there's another fear at work in us when it comes to living with an understanding of God's presence. There's another fear at work within us. As I was writing this message, God let me know I needed to write this for myself. Because of what has been going on in my own mind and my own heart. The other fear is the fear of success. That you fear success. You fear winning. For many Christians, you fully believe in God the Father. You believe in God the Son. You believe in the Holy Spirit. And you trust in his powers and his ability. 
You pray for people. You go and lay hands on people. You're all about other people. But when it comes to yourself, you have a hard time believing. Have a hard time believing. And this is something that God was just getting into my heart. You believe in his promises. But you have a difficulty believing that you are part of his purpose. You feel like I'm just existing. God, I love you, but I'm just here. I don't, think, I don't think I'm called for that. That seems like a little bit too big for me to be able to do. I want to show you an example of this in the Bible. If you turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Jesus tells Peter this after Peter excuse me, acknowledges Jesus as the son of God. So Peter, he acknowledges who Jesus is. You are the son of God. And this is what Jesus tells Peter back. In verse 18, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, that's pretty heavy to receive in one moment. I was just talking. We were having a good time. And all of a sudden, you hit me with the, you in charge of the church. And I think Peter felt good about it. Like, oh, wow. Like, what an honor. Wow. But it didn't really sink in yet. It, it wasn't real yet. But something I started to notice, what starts to happen to Peter after he's told that he will be the rock on which the church was built, all of a sudden, it's like this ripple effect of failures, after failure, after failure. And what I started to really see is that when something seems too big to us that God is calling us to do, we'll start to self-sabotage. We talk, we find a way to get ourselves out of it. Because we don't want to go to, the, to God and be like, God, you know, I, I'm thankful you called me to this, but I don't think I'm the guy. I don't think I'm the lady for this. What we'll do is we'll find ways to sabotage what God wants to do. The very next thing we see Peter do, that is a guaranteed symptom of someone who has a fear of success, is self-sabotage. Look at what Peter does just after Jesus tells him that he will be the person the church will be built on. Here's the first sabotage. He starts challenging his leaders. Sabotage one. He starts challenging his leaders. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, this is where we start to find ways to dismiss ourselves from what God is calling us to do. When Jesus told Peter he would be the person the church was built on, it was heavy, but it wasn't real yet. The moment Jesus began to speak about the future and what's to come, all of a sudden, this is real. He's serious. And we start to panic. 
and we start to freak out. And we start to go, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's not so much that you feel failure, but you fear the success. When Jesus starts to talk about his own death and the reality of Peter having to step into the role Jesus called him, start to seek in, we see Peter start to self-sabotage. All of a sudden, Peter knows better than Jesus. He's been with him all this time, listen to all the teachings. But all of a sudden, I know better than you. You're not supposed to do that. We see this happen with people. Well, all of a sudden, you know better than the pastors. All of a sudden, you know more. It's like I, I thought we were part of this together. I thought we were building something together. All of, a, the, all of a sudden, the disciple is the visionary. He knows what's necessary for the church to go. Jesus, you can't leave, and, but Jesus knows way better. The church cannot grow if I don't leave. I have to leave in order for the church to grow. He starts to question the authority of Jesus. It wasn't because of maliciousness that led him to this, but the fear of having to fulfill what he was called to. And I understand that. I understand what it's like to have that fear of what God is calling you to. Here's the second sabotage we see. His discipline falters. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 through 40. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless... Not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Something very, very simple. Stay awake. Watch me. Very easy. And he says to them, so you could not watch me for one hour? This is discipline faltering. When it's, it's funny, like when you're starting to sabotage yourself, and you're starting to sabotage the things that God wants to do in your life, the simple things will start to falter. And you don't even know why. All of a sudden, prayer life is hard. Reading your Bible is hard. Showing up to church is hard. Being invested with people is hard. All of a sudden, we start letting certain temptations slip. Oh, it's okay. I could text them back. It's not that late. Uh, you know, we're just going to get coffee. I don't see what the big deal is about it. Being married, doing things you ain't got no business doing. Looking at things you ain't got no business. And the reality is you know better. And these are easy. When, you, when you're feeling good and you're in the spirit, these are easy for you to do. But the moment you start to fear the success that God is trying to give you, the call that God is trying to bless you with, you start to sabotage. You start finding ways to get out of stuff. The third one we see, Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. I got to go quick through this. A denial of the relationship he has with Christ. After Jesus is taken, I'm just going to paraphrase these verses. You can go back and read them. But I want you guys to get this. After Jesus is taken, people start coming up to Peter. Aren't you one of the disciples? Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? No, not me. Uh-uh. 
Hey, yeah, 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 you're one of those guys. You're one of the rebels too. Nope, uh-uh. Three times. Three times he denies him. And the thing is when we're self-sabotaging, when we're backtracking, we will start to deny our relationship with God, how deep it really is. We'll start to say, yeah, I'm Christian, but I'm not like Christian, Christian. What does that mean? You a part-time Christian? Yeah, I just, you know, I go to church when necessary, but I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm just, I'm just a spiritual person. What? What does that mean? You're denying the relationship you have with him. You're trying to get out of what God is calling you to. Be able to accept the success he wants to give you. You don't have to fear it. And the fourth one, the fourth one, when, when you step all the way back, when you try to run as far as you can, like I got to get away from this, I got to get away from this, you'll revert back to your old ways. Look at where Jesus finds Peter after Jesus resurrects from the grave. John chapter 21, verses 4 through 7. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Peter went back to what he only knew. Even though Jesus told him, you are the rock in which the church was built. Once Jesus was gone and he thought all hope was lost, God's not with me anymore. I don't see his presence anymore. I don't feel his presence anymore. I'm not the guy for this. He went back to what he knew. That's what happens to us when we start to sabotage our lives away. We'll go back to our old ways of living. We'll forget all about our relationship with God. We'll forget about all our disciplines that we have. We'll forget about all our leaders and all the great people that God has put around our lives because we're so afraid to accept the blessing. And the reality of it is, once Peter stopped seeing God externally, when he stopped seeing Jesus present with him, when he stopped feeling that, he forgot about him. But Jesus made a promise. He didn't just say the Holy Spirit will be with you. He said the Holy Spirit will be in you. Whatever God has called you to, he has given his spirit to you. So you don't have to always worry about the external presence of God. And I'm not feeling it right now because it's right here. The moment you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment you repented and gave your heart to God, he poured out a blessing into your life to empower you with the gifts of the Spirit to do all the work he has called you to. He guarantees that you will be victorious because you're serving his will, not your will. And he will bless you abundantly because you are disciplined and determined and dedicated to it. He will equip you for it. You don't have to be afraid of the success that comes along with it. And I know this is where we worry. Is I don't know if I can live up to that standard. I don't know if I can maintain that. I don't know if I could be a pastor. There are pastors in this room. But you're only relying on the pastors that you see when God's calling you to it. There are life group leaders in this room. But you're relying on all the other life group leaders around you. Because you don't trust the spirit in you. 
I see it happen all the time. Yes, we need to pray for one another. Yes, I can pray for you anytime, but do you know you can lay hands on your own family as well? And the same power that dwells in me dwells in you? That you can cast out demons the same way? That you can heal the sick the same way? That you can speak the word of God the same way? I'm not something special. I'm just the vessel that God chose to use. And the moment you stop fearing the success, you can be the vessel the same way. I just, I love the mercy and the grace that Jesus has. Because look at what Jesus does. Even though Paul, I'm sorry, Peter ran away. Even though Peter denied him. Even though Peter reverted back to his old ways. Look at what Jesus does. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And I see now the double entendre here. It wasn't that Jesus was saying, follow me, as in walk right behind me. It's I'm leaving, follow me. You're following the work that I've done, Peter. I I know it seems scary. I know you have a trouble believing within yourself. I know you think you can't live up to the standard that I set. But I'm telling you, you can. I'm telling you that you will do greater things than I have done. With every head bowed in this room, with every eyes closed in this room, maybe you've you've gone through a massive season of doubt and a massive season of fear and worry where you're experiencing a fear of both failure and a fear of success. It's God, I don't know if I can receive this blessing. Of course, I will always love you. But I don't know if I could do the thing you're calling me to do. If that's you in this room where you're afraid of what God is calling you to, just raise your hand where you're at right now. I just want to pray with you. Hands going up all around this room. It's real. We have to be able to overcome this, but you don't have to overcome this alone. As you're listening to my voice, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus... I repent. I turn my heart from my old ways. And I receive the call upon my life. I accept you as Lord and Savior. Pour out your spirit both with me and inside me to fulfill the purpose you called me to. Help me to walk boldly 
and the calling. Help me to accept the blessing that you have given. I thank you, Jesus, for all you have done and all that you're going to do in your precious name. And everyone shout it out. Amen. Come on, give God a, a thunderous praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? Everybody stand to your feet. I want you to see something here. This is, this is the best part of this whole entire message. Once Peter acknowledges the Holy Spirit within him, watch, his, watch what happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 41. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The moment that Peter acknowledged the spirit that was dwelling within him, 3,000 people got saved. This was the work that Jesus was trying to show him. Peter, wake up. The spirit is within you. You don't have to do it on your own. You're not by yourself. Whatever I called you to, I'm going to help you see through. You're not going to do this by yourself. I am with you and I am in you. Leave from this place today knowing the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But there is a requirement. It requires us to remain disciplined. It requires us to remain obedient. It requires us to remain steadfast in love and grace and mercy. We have to be able to forgive people. We have to be able to love people. I know it's hard. I know sometimes, I to, Pastor Max, you don't know she get on my nerves. Like hardcore, she is the thorn in my side. And what does God say? My grace is sufficient. Whatever the thing that God calls you to. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the church. But at your job, I want you to seize every moment that God presents to you to be a blessing in that place. Every moment to pour out the Spirit of God to somebody else. I know it seems weird. I know like Pastor Max, that's not really the place. Every place is God's place. Every place you walk is holy ground because you carry the Holy Spirit with you. You have the ability to transform every environment you step into because you carry the Spirit of God with you. Father God, we give you praise. We thank you. We honor you. We love your presence both externally and internally. Whatever you called us to, we only want it if you're there. We give you all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said...